0: Welcome back to the show. Today we have Mike Fitzsimmons. He's the co-founder and CEO of Crosscheck. Mike, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I think what you guys are doing at Crosscheck is very innovative and cool and very much needed in the space. But before we get into that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up.
1: Yeah, so I I actually uh, moved around quite a bit. So I and I'm not sure that I have grown up yet. Um <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> but I, but I I'll tell That is I, key. I, <laughs> I'm uh, so son of immigrant parents uh who when they came to this country, I was I was the youngest of four um wow. uh so I was actually born in Nashville, Tennessee, but uh we moved around quite a bit. So um where that where I where I landed for the longest period of time was outside of Boston, Massachusetts, in a little town called Concord. Okay. Uh and then after that moved again for high school uh, to Virginia to Richmond Virginia. So somewhere between Nashville, uh Boston and Richmond is where I would uh where I would where I, where I would say I grew up.
0: Very cool. So you went to college. What did you take and why? Uh
1: so I majored in economics. I went to a, a small liberal arts college. I actually went there because uh I was uh invited to play soccer. Oh, nice. Um, and I took economics because, at a small level arts college, the curriculum is not nearly as uh, diverse <laughs> as I would have liked. Uh, ah. it was the Closest thing I could get to a business major, okay. um, but in retrospect, turned out to be a turned out to be a good move.
0: Very cool. So you get out of college. Walk us through your career, and maybe some highlights along the way, up until coming out or coming up with the idea for Crosscheck, and then we'll get into that.
1: Awesome. Yeah. So I I knew very early I was I was a much better worker uh, than I was a student. And so um, throughout my college experience, I was always working um, for sure. You know, whether it was summers, uh, getting internships, uh, as well as even during my, my kind of holiday breaks. And I worked for a company called Circuit City for all four years of my college. Oh, uh, cool. circuit city was actually headquartered in richmond virginia and at the time was a you know super innovative you know retailer for many of your audience they might not even know who this company is but they were <laughs> they were best buy before best buy existed um so you know 12 billion dollar company in the consumer electronics retail space and i got into a really cool group there uh out of college in their corporate development uh side of the house and one of the things that uh, again a little known fact about circuit city they launched a ton of new companies, um, while, while, uh, running this, 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 this massive multi-billion dollar retailer. And one of those that I was very fortunate to work on was CarMax, which many people don't know, but CarMax is, is now still a very thriving massive enterprise that people forget was actually started and founded by Circuit City. So I was cool. I didn't know that.
0: That's interesting.
1: Very neat. So I got my initial exposure then to the to the uh, you know sort of the, the the traditional big company stuff and learning how to do all that, but I then also got exposure to the startup within the big company, which was really where I got my initial chops around how to go you know be an entrepreneur and go take a business from kind of cradle to to full development.
0: Interesting. Okay, so how did you come up with the idea for Crosscheck, and what exactly is it?
1: Yeah, and not to bore even further, but just to connect no, the no, dots. When I, when I left during the dot-com boom, I was actually uh, recruited to come out to a company in the Bay Area that was in the e-commerce space. Uh, I came out to run products for this organization. This company was called Something Now, which we actually sold to CNET. Nice.
0: Um
1: and then after CNET, I started my first uh, company, which was a company called Delivery Agent. And Delivery Agent was a pretty neat idea of enabling consumers to buy products they see while they're watching television shows and movies. Okay. So it was, uh, I'm watching Brad Pitt in Ocean's Eleven and I want his sunglasses, how do I make that happen? So right. I had a good run with that organization. I ran that company for about 10 years. Uh, we got it to just under $200 million in revenue, and we were actually planning for an IPO. And one of the things that um, we experienced in that process was some challenges as it relates to uh, making hiring decisions. And uh, we, uh, my co-founder and I, Pete Gettner, he was an investor and on my board at that time, um, we, we both kind of learned from that experience, just how tough it is to to sure. optimize your hiring decisions and just how little data there is out in the world to help high growth organizations make the best decisions, um, both for, for, for the organization and for, and for the talent that they're bringing on. So at the end of the day, that was the inspiration for starting Crosscheck, uh, was really that real, real world experience that Pete and I had, and we looked at each other and said, Hey, let's go fix this. And so we launched Crosscheck in 2000 and started to raise a little capital for Crosscheck in 2018, really kind of brought the product to market in kind of mid 2019. And then here we are today um, with a, a pretty cool high growth, high growth company.
0: Interesting. Okay. So what, how did Crosscheck launch and how has it evolved to what it is today?
1: Yeah, so what was really cool and from the perspective that we had initially we said, hey, one of the big gaps in the hiring market is this this really getting to know your candidate before you make the hiring decision and totally. you think about what the currency is that has been used for the last, you know, several decades that was sort of the resume, which we kind of all know uh, how how archaic that that is. Then it's LinkedIn, yeah. which we also know is kind of an unbalanced um view it's all kind of candidate driven and then there's our interviews Um, there's also sort of pockets of different assessment testing and things of that nature but at the end of the world at the end of the day um when you add it all up it's clearly not working you know 45 percent of our new hires um don't make it 18 months and are deemed to be mishires and if you just think about that and zoom out for a moment on how impactful that is organizations and how much it costs them to train, to recruit, uh, et cetera, if you think about the impacts to culture and productivity when you make a mishire, um, and you then also think about from the talent's perspective and the individual that you hire, just how disruptive it is to their life, it's not good for them either, right? So when you put all that together, you realize there's a big, big problem here. So what we set out to do with Crosscheck in the first phase was to kind of reimagine and reinvent the process of doing reference checking. Uh, making that much more human, making that much more balanced and transparent to both candidates and companies, but take it to the cloud, use artificial intelligence, do it in a modern way that's mobile-friendly and user-friendly, but at the end of the day, helps get better insights to the company to make sure that the hire they're about to make is going to be a long-lasting, thriving employee for their for their team. Right. So that was sort of the phase one product was... This reimagined version of the reference check, uh, we call this the CrossCheck 360. Uh, we do some unique things with this product, not to bore your audience, but in addition mm-hmm. to getting feedback from people you have worked with, you know, your peers, your former managers, your former coworkers, etc., we also enable the candidate to give the same feedback on themselves. So when you ultimately look at a CrossCheck 360 report. You're going to see, hey, here's how Kevin views himself on these dimensions. And then here's how all these other people that have worked with Kevin view him on these dimensions and hopefully gives us a really good view on how good a match he's going to be for our organization.
0: Can I see the other, like the recommendations from, like I I say I'm good at X. Can I see what other people say about uh, that or, or does that not really work?
1: So we're we're working on a version. So it doesn't work because the okay. commitment to the reference giver is anonymity, just to make the uh, whole machine work.
0: Gotcha. Now,
1: now that said, we are working on a version of our report that is much more kind of candidate friendly and really just focuses on your strengths and your, maybe your developmental areas, but can be done in a way that's fully anonymized and can be used, frankly, to to be more developmental. Sure. Um, so that that is something that's on our on our on our roadmap. But today we have to protect sort of the confidence of the the, the reference giver, if you will, to make the whole machine make the whole machine work. Um, no,
0: that makes sense. So walk us through how does a company actually sign up and use Crosscheck?
1: Yeah, and you had asked a a question prior that I didn't fully answer. And I'll do that, okay, and then I'll tell sure. you how they sign up and use us. But you would asked a question about kind of what where we started and what we what we learned and one of the things that we learned as we got into this was gosh this is an awesome tool right this can absolutely help replace the archaic process of doing a traditional reference check and it can also just give wonderful new content and insights to these organizations to make better decisions but one of the things that we learned pretty quickly was this is all well and good but if you can't measure and analyze this it's kind of meaningless So there's a concept in the talent industry that is talked about for a long, long time called quality of hire. And quality of hire has historically been an arbitrary measurement that people talk about around, gosh, I understand the quantity of my hires and how many people I hired, but do I really know what the quality is of those hires? And this industry has survived somehow without having any sort of real quality Measurement, any reliable, consistent quality measurement. And so that was the next big thing we realized that we could go solve for. And we have done just some awesome, awesome work on this front, where we are basically, in its simplest form, connecting all of this pre hire intelligence we get on a hire with post hire business outcomes. So it could be as simple as Kevin lasted here for nine months and he was a top performer and he added, he was a culture ad based on whatever. Uh, whatever kind of analytics we're getting, but putting all that together so you can actually start to understand your quality of hire based upon you know, the source of the hire, who was the recruiter on the hire, who was the hiring manager. We, we're now doing this uh, from a diversity perspective on age, ethnicity, uh, and gender. I mean, we believe that quality is colorblind, but we also believe that the world still needs to maybe prove that through data, right? So this idea of also... Now being able to measure quality of hire in a reliable and consistent, uh, uh, with a reliable and consistent methodology and tool is a big, big part of where we're going. Um, and if you think about the closed loop nature of all of this, it's like, hey, once you understand who's going to be a quality hire in your org, your ability to better you know, use like the CrossCheck 360 product up front to you know, better vet and match, uh, the whole thing should help us all just build better companies and create better opportunities for talent. Uh, is our kind of big picture.
0: No, that makes a lot of sense. And I think the, the one thing that seems to be a real transition coming out of the pandemic is, I think it's really made, well, employers, but I think more so employees really rethink what's valuable to them. And What I mean by that is some people love going to the office nine to five, Monday to Friday or whatever that means. Some people want to go in two, three days a week. Some people want to be 100% remote and or maybe just come in on a random Friday or something. So I, I think having a data now to actually manage this new kind of world of coming into the office, not coming to the office, having a remote team, not having a remote team and kind of everywhere in between, I think having the data behind this is gonna be super, super important and only get more valuable going forward. What are your thoughts around that? Do you agree, do you disagree or or what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, no, it's 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 a wonderful, controversial, complicated topic, right? And I think that it was interesting sort of how Google addressed the return to work piece of saying, hey, Last year was an emergency, so we reacted to the emergency. Yeah, fair. Yeah, <laughs> the the emergency's over, <laughs> so right things are going to start to normalize. And I know I'm I'm sort of summarizing that in into in, um, in probably too high a level. But look, I think it's complicated, and I think you have absolutely right now. You probably saw the same data in terms of last month, or I think in April we had the highest uh, quit rate in the last few decades in this country, right? I think it was 2.7% of people actually quit their jobs. The, the the pendulum has shifted so far to the talent. Talent is in control. We've never seen anything like it, right? And this talent market is unprecedented and it's, it is a different game. So you get got these two things happening where organizations are, are forced to deal with that reality because they want to acquire and retain the best talent and people have made decisions for their own lives right? And and adopted during this emergency. And so how do you kind of get that all navigated and figured out? And what policies do you put in place? I mean, even in our backyard here, you you see what sort of big companies like Salesforce uh, or Spotify or some of these folks are doing. uh, And then you see guys in kind of the middle of the road policies of three days a week coming back, you know, and some, you know, it is the the range is just so massive. So I I do believe that um, that is uh complicated I and mean, then we could we could talk for hours just on that topic alone all that said though i think that this quality of higher piece and quality at the end of the day we have to be achieving business outcomes right sure. and it, yeah. and the second we take our eye off of that ball these things don't work and and this will come back on the other side that the, the, it will get tighter the market will slow down it will cool off you're seeing a little bit of it now uh, that is going to happen, and when that happens, we believe that this notion of quality is gonna be even more important to measure. So, put yourself in the shoes of we're a year from now, and we're trying to understand, okay, we have this remote workforce, and maybe 70% of our organization hasn't come back to the office, but now we're trying to understand how that's impacting performance and business outcomes. I think it's be fascinating to watch, right? And I think it's, I, I don't think we know, you know? I, I'll tell you, like, as a specific vertical, if you think about customer service, and folks that are in the call center business well now that they're working from home and that's a, an industry that has an incredibly high turnover yeah. you know what that might actually work long term right yeah. uh, to keep them working from home it's just a better quality of life you can you can you know it all, it all might just work better well that might be very different for you know someone who's just out of college starting their first career as a you know outbound sales uh, rep for a software company well they need to be in the office they need to be you know mentored they need to be with folks and all that good stuff. So there's all these different nuances that are that are going to be fascinating to watch unfold. Um, and I don't think any of us know the answers. We're all going to do our level best and do what's best for our organizations. But at the end of the day, it all has to map back to the business outcomes, right? For this to work. Uh, and the second those things start slipping, I think you're going to see companies reacting.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I, I think th- the thing that's interesting to me about the whole kind of shift is i think in a lot of cases for certain industries things were very broken and i think the pandemic pushed it to one extreme and i'm very curious to see how much kind of comes back because i think in in certain cases certain types of employees will do better remote some will not some need a hybrid thing and so being able to have the data to figure out what types of person that candidate is and and the job role that you're kind of expected of them whether they can be in the office five days a week or three days a week or 100 remote or some combination of all those things is actually going to be really powerful right
1: i believe so you know it's really interesting too i think about we have a a gentleman on our board our advisory board named brooks holtz and he's a phd one of the top thinkers Around the whole concept of retention and and of employee yeah. retention, and it was yeah. so interesting. I remember that one of the first conversations I had with him because he he has studied this thing to no end, and he said, you know, you know, the one of one highest predictors of retention is we know the obvious ones like your relationship with your manager and your compensation, but in that top five list is is how long your commute is, right? Yeah. 100%. And I actually, when I think about so much of these conversations and the the gosh the, the real energy around um i mean i will tell you my I, I'm seeing this already with companies that have announced the uh, three days back to work, and they all yep. seem to be selecting the second week in September as the date comes back.
0: <laughs> fair enough
1: but the but the lashback the real lashback is people think I'm not commuting for two hours and new, burning my productivity right yep. and it's a, it's a, but it's the same it's the same concept frankly that was driving attrition
0: yeah, uh just,
1: before the pandemic as just yeah. now right It's not
0: a new yeah. idea interesting meeting is
1: terrible right so so there is also i think some of this is like not that new it's it's the same fundamental ideas and that's different from people that have said hey i've picked up and moved to you know xyz town that i'm no longer you know i I, i'm I'm a thousand miles now from the headquarters in, right in in chicago right that's a different concept a different discussion but it is interesting how much this stuff kind of comes back to some simple fundamental human uh human things
0: sure no that that makes a lot of sense so i want to dive a little bit deeper into actually using the product and you quickly covered it but i want to spend a bit more time on that so how exactly does it work so like walk me through uh, i write a job posting and i post it online and i start recruiting candidates that's basically where you start correct or or walk us through where in the job hiring process cross check starts
1: Yeah. So, and it really is a function of of where the organization wants to insert us. So, uh, hiring workflows vary based upon different organizations. And so, we have, um, and at the end of the day, what we're really trying to do is just give you additional insights into this candidate to help you make sure you're making the right decision, right, for you and for them. So that can start very early. We have some organizations that start the cross-check process, you know, post your application, maybe post your first phone screen, but okay. pre your first interview, right. because it can make in- interviews that much more impactful. I, if I know this about Kevin in advance of the interview, I can go deeper on the things that I, I, I want to go deeper on. And I don't need to waste my time on some of the other stuff that because I feel pretty good about uh, the insights I've gotten. So it's, it can be used as early as as, in, as as that. It can also be used, confirmatory tool. Some companies use it post offer, right, where it's confirmatory, um, just to make sure that yeah, there's nothing that 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 they really missed in their process. The sweet spot for the tool seems to be, frankly, right in the middle. It's like I've taken you enough down this path. There's mutual interest. We like you, but we really want to you know expand the scope of our intelligence to to make sure we can inform sort of our final interviews, uh, okay. and, and then really that, that seems to be the workflow stage. So the, the actual sort of tactical piece of how it happens, we integrate with um, most of the top what are called applicant tracking systems. Okay. Uh, these are systems like Workday, and there's a whole bunch of others, but these are the sort of systems that organizations use to manage that workflow uh, in terms of how Kevin progresses through from the point he applies to when we hire him. And okay. literally in that process, the user, which would be a recruiter or an HR person, you know, it's a press of a button um, uh, that says, hey, launch the cross-check for Kevin. Kevin okay. gets an invitation into cross-check. So Kevin's the candidate. Uh, gets Kevin gets the invitation into cross-check. He completes a six-minute survey uh, on himself, and then he uploads the contact information for the people, his former coworkers, former managers, peers, whatever it might be. And ultimately, that's what gets the whole ball rolling. Uh, Those people, let's just say that Mike was Kevin's manager, I then get an invitation into cross-check. I also complete a six-minute survey. Uh, 70% of those are done on a mobile device. Um, And basically, within 48 hours, I get sort of this consolidated report um, from all these folks that know Kevin, combined with Kevin's insights on himself, and that arrives in my inbox, uh, it gives me now this 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 sort of new complementary source of content to help me help me make my hiring decision.
0: Interesting. Okay. And then yeah, I can just go from there. No, that that makes a lot of sense. The, the thing I'm curious about then is how does it like say you hire me for example, you you covered it quickly but I want to dive deeper into how does it know whether I'm adding value to the company where I'm a terrible employee or kind of everywhere in between.
1: Yeah. So, so the of it, I would say in terms of how does, how does it, how does it know? I mean, the, the, it's all data, right. And it's all, you you would think this isn't that complex because companies do things like performance reviews and companies have their own HR systems that help them track. How long did you last? But 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 no one's put all that together. And although this might seem extraordinarily complex, it's really a function of connecting all that pre-hire data that we had on Kevin with now post-hire data, which could be as simple as did he last? Did he make it 90 days? Did he make it 180 days? Right? It could be performance. Like what was his performance review? Companies are getting. We have a thing. We have a, a pulse survey that we send out every 30 days to your manager and to you as the employee. Um, that basically it's like, hey Kevin, how's your experience at the new company? And to your manager is how is Kevin performing? Right. Because we really want to detect early in that life cycle, you know, is he going to be a quality hire? And if so, we need to we need to we need to make sure we're investing in him properly. Or if there's some, it doesn't seem to be working out, we got to do something about it, right? Like quickly, right? right? right. And we got to we got to either it might be just a, you know, relationship with his manager. It might not be, might not have been the right job match, all that good stuff. So. That's how we're doing. We're really, it's data, data, data. It's connecting all that pre hire data with whatever post hire data we can get our hands on. I'll tell you one other dimension that, hey, you might not be performing great in the role that you're in right now, but from a yeah. culture perspective, you're highly engaged and you're a culture ad to our organization. Okay. So we also capture that. So that, that tells us, hey, no, Kevin's someone we want to retain, but he's not doing great in his current job. So maybe we got him in the wrong role right so interesting let's, let's 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 act on that cuz he's a keeper right sure. um, or if, or if you know you weren't let's just go to the other extreme where we're two months in and you like haven't you've skipped three meetings you're not you're not following up on anything you're not, and we're pretty clear that this is not going to work out right yeah. we we have to be aware of that too to yeah. start su- succession planning or whatever else we got to do so the bottom line is getting all of that into a single source of truth so you have this you know, quality of hire measurement and analytical tool, uh, that yeah. will help influence whatever business decisions you want to go make. I think that's all, that's all a big part of it.
0: No, no, that makes a lot of sense. So then how does it work though? I've been using cross check for six months, nine months, two years, whatever. It doesn't really matter. Does it start building profiles around, Oh, we have this new candidate, uh, C- compared to our past hires, it this person's awesome. Somewhere in the middle, maybe not a good fit for us. Like, does it automatically kind of create profiles around types of people, or or how does that work or not work?
1: Yeah, there's certainly a world where you know the notion of kind of high performing personas, yeah, can be defined, and then yeah. that could that could help influence how you're building your team. You no, know, it, it gets look that gets. It gets delicate, especially sure. in a world where we, we want to drive. We don't want everybody to look alike, right? And we don't want to. We, we want to drive diversity as a as a driver of quality, actually, sure. right? Totally. But, but I'll give you some. I'll give you some macro um, outputs of data that we've gotten that I think will just be thought provoking. So, okay. we have uh, a, a high growth customer um, that is, you know, a unicorn, multi billion dollar valuation. They've actually been remote from day one. And I wow. think they're, I don't know, a couple couple thousand employees. One of the things they learned from a quality of hire analysis is that new hires for them that are sort of seeking a community experience at their company,
0: yeah. you
1: know, they're looking for barbecues and beers with their coworkers and they're looking for that kind of thing, don't yeah. do well and don't work. Sure. because yeah. they're fully remote. And so for them, the shift is they're actually looking for things like, are you embedded in your community? Right, You're a little further along in your career where you, you really just want to show up and do your job. right? And, and that's okay for them to acknowledge that and then to be probing for that in the recruiting process because that's what's going to help you be quality for them.
0: Totally, right? and that
1: just might be very different for a different organization like you know you've been to, if you've been to google's campus
0: right yeah like, yeah totally like, yeah it's, it's a party it's a <laughs> yeah. party there
1: and those just seem sort of very so i i get a little sensitive on the real sort of look-alike persona matching thing because there's some trap there but for sure we're trying to get to themes and trying to get to you know stuff that will help us just you know build better teams and and for 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 both sides of the equation for talent and for and for companies.
0: No, no that that makes a lot of sense and and you're right. You want to get the the most perspectives on the problems and the challenges that you're trying to solve, right? And if you hire the same type of person constantly, I actually think it's 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 not impossible, but it's it's very hard to think outside how those people think, right? And and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just that's kind of the reality of things, right?
1: Yeah, it's the reality of things. And I and I do think that the – look, so much of this stuff is, is – is, is there's so many cool things once you get data, right? Questions you can ask of data. But just totally. keeping it up at the top, it's like – I'll give you another real-world example of where sure. quality of hiring and understanding for your org. People think that – and this gets to your, your question. People think that their own – Internal referral networks, right, yeah. are, are, are really great because they're actually um, a great and efficient way to get talent into your org. Well, guess what? The data says for many organizations, they're actually your lower quality hires. So why why a- is
0: that out of curiosity?
1: Well, it, de- it depends on what the, uh, I mean, think about the incentive structure that the organization yeah, might have. Right? And it's like, look, if, if I'm making 20 grand to refer an engineer into the company, right. As an internal uh, referral yes. bonus, who knows, right. Yeah, but, the, but, it's but, but what's as important is just to be able to say, huh, that's interesting. Why is that? Right. And yeah. understand are we, or or maybe part of that might be that we're overly relying on the, Right, the the internal employee that gave that reference, so we don't really have a, a proxy for what's what's the performance of that internal employee that referred the person. So there's just the the bottom line is there's all kinds of stuff, and until we get these questions, like even until we get the data in front of us, we can't even ask the questions. Right? No, and that's, yeah, it's amazing.
0: No, that it's interesting because the other thing I've been reading too about, in, in just in the news, is certain industries are having a real hard time recruiting people for it for a number of reasons. And then I've also heard people in the same industries that are having a hard time. It's like, well, you're clearly doing something wrong if you can't recruit people, right? And I get it's not as black and white as that it's some are kind of in the gray area with with that. But the thing that I find really fascinating about what you guys are doing is, I know you can skew data, how you kind of want it, but you need data to make decisions around some of these things, because if you, especially if you have a board of people, obviously you're going to have people that think one way and another way and kind of a bunch of people in the middle, but being able to present them data saying, you know what, like to your point a few minutes ago, uh, if internal referrals from friends or past colleagues is not the best way for us to hire, it's a hell of a lot easier to show people the data that this hasn't been working for us over the last Few months or two years or whatever, and we actually need to go try to find new people that our internal team don't know, right? And so it, it is fascinating. You can get rid of a lot of those arguments and kind of assumptions when you have the data to back up what you're trying to say. Correct?
1: Yeah, I think so. And at the end of the day, I always use this simple analogy, just in terms of my own company. Around sure, like you've got li- you've got limited calories in a day. We're all trying to do right. our job, right? And yeah. so we're going to burn calories and we want to just burn our calories in the right places, right? Sure. And so any way we can do that, I think that's, that's what it comes down to at the end of the day is optimizing this stuff. I'll, I'll give you another one because it, it's, it's topical too, just another data insight that is, sure. might, might trigger some dialogue. But, w- but another great output of this sort of quality of hiring analytics, we have a client who was doing a good job of their diverse hiring initiatives and, trying to, and getting there, but they, they couldn't keep um, their their hires from underrepresented groups and it wasn't until it was literally like you could map the inflection point and a big part of this was an inclusion conversation it was yeah I show up at a company and I might be from an underrepresented group but there's no one else in this company that looks like me or feels like <sighs> me and so I just don't feel comfortable here right and then, and they turn they turn over quickly and it wasn't until they increased their total pool did they start to see those retention metrics and those quality metrics get right start to go the right direction so it's very much to that point too it's a chicken and egg but you're like hey until i know that and i can see that and i can understand okay i just got to keep grinding here right in order to get you know to to solve this to solve this issue so there's there's some just neat stuff there around broadly speaking around some of inclusion efforts and sort of diverse hiring initiatives that are taking place as well um where again data 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 can help because we have bias 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 and how do you get rid of bias (laughs) Is you incorporate data you know, totally. yeah, and decision making. So there's some neat stuff in there.
0: Sure. So what's kind of an ideal company size to start using Crosscheck?
1: Well, or the cool is thing one? is, I, yeah, the neat thing is I, I we have, you know, the most valuable company created in the last decade with Snowflake, right? Which is, yep. you know, just a rocket ship tech company. And we have the largest in the agricultural industry, the largest Kiwi company in the world uh, no, running just... on our platform, believe it or not. So had... look, any anybody who's building, you know, teams and wants to optimize their output is an opportunity for us. We have a SMB package for true startups okay. and for smaller companies just to like let them get going. Um, and we have enterprise customers that are, you know, tens of thousands of employees. Uh, running on the platform and i think we're we're really purpose driven in all of this we want to solve the problem for everybody you know for the company and for the individual so um you know it is, there really isn't a limit to where we can where we can where and who we can be helpful to all that being said our our kind of um, sweet spot at the moment is call it 500 to 10,000 employees it's kind of that middle market um, I, when you get into these larger enterprises, they're just more complex, the big, bu- sure. the big ones. Yeah. Um, and you know, from a small startup like ours, the sales cycles are really long and the decision-making is complex and you can imagine. Yeah. So I think that's where we're, where we're really having a, 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 really good adoption and quick adoption is in that kind of mid market currently.
0: Sure. So you've obviously done a bunch of stuff before cross check is there any advice or things you've learned along the way being an entrepreneur that you maybe wish you knew, um, kind of earlier on in your career that you do now, or is there some things that you used to do that you don't anymore, uh, wish you, you, you know, stop doing over the years?
1: Yeah, it's, I, there's a couple of big ones and I, I, um, I'll say first of all but I you know this is cliche and we hear it. It's not fun. Right? Yeah. Like, yep. like just, just, just be honest with yourself on that, right? And it's it's not and and um and trust the data around startups, they they take seven to ten years to mature, right? Yep. So that that is just the reality, right? Full stop. And so uh, certainly there are fun parts of it. And there's the, the, the highs are high, but, but the lows are really low and there's a lot of lows, right? And so sure. you have to just make sure you're wired for it. I really do believe that um, and 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 accept the challenge, wholeheartedly accept the challenge. I think the the other piece that that for me are kind of my guiding principles. And I also am um, a partner in a, in a venture fund, so I do a fair amount of investing as well. But the... I, I, there's two really simple things. I say team and tam, team and tam, and I say it over and over and over again. Okay. And I and I think that uh, the right team, right, and a big enough addressable market. Yeah. You got a shot. Um, yeah. If the if the addressable market's just not big enough, you, 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 no matter what, you know winning, you know what, what's the prize if you win? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for something that's really really hard. And the part though, to answer your question that I've probably matured most on is the team part. I think earlier in my career, I just probably felt like, um, I could find a way through and I try, yeah, I just probably put too much on myself and didn't, didn't trust enough. I think that was probably a blind spot for me. And as I got to be a better leader was to really, really, really prioritize the team Interesting. and, you know, trust the team and acknowledge you're not getting there without a winning team. You're just not, it's not going to happen so those are my those are my two big ones is that kind of team and tam and that's the 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 piece that i think i've grown the most on is understanding the team component of it and how to both recruit and retain and also you know set 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 the team up for success
0: how did you learn to let go of some of that though because like i would put myself in that boat sometimes it's like i'll just handle it and then i'm like no 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 i gotta like uh Like pass this off to somebody because it's not worth my time or effort or I just need to delegate. Like, how did you actually get over that uh, and and realize and start doing it?
1: It's so hard, right? It's so hard. And and Mm -hmm. part of why it's hard, too, for entrepreneurs is they actually got there by being the doer. Totally, 100%. Right. Part of what got yep. you so great it's because you're like, I see a problem, I fix it. I see a problem, I fix it. Right, and I think I'm capable of fixing any problem. You know, yep. so it's a, it's really hard. It's a very human hard thing. And I know you as an entrepreneur as well. You, you, you obviously live, live it too. It's just a hard thing. And so it is, it is just awareness I, 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 that for me, and I have to literally still consciously uh, do that and consciously stand out and bite my lip and just say, hey, this is okay right? This is okay. okay. And then we're adding a whole bunch of new hires to our team and it's a younger generation of leaders. And I'm excited to see them grow and become, you know, become the next generation of leaders. Uh, but it was, you know, I, 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 not for the faint of heart, but Pete and I both, uh, we're kind of older entrepreneurs in the grand scheme sure. of things. Sure. Post 25. Post 25, man. We're like, you know, we're old. And so, and we're and and that is a big thing and i think so part of the mental shift for me on that is is also prioritizing developing these young up-and-coming leaders in our organization right and thinking about that as the output let's yeah. get them great right like let's okay. focus on getting them great and not not focus on uh and maybe that takes a little bit longer to solve the issue or whatever that might be so i think but it's not easy it's a i love the question i know you can relate so i i uh it's a it's a real it's a real human a uh, conversation and a blind spot for a lot of entrepreneurs. I know that for sure.
0: Yeah, I know it's interesting because my last couple things I've been like working on, well, this was a couple years ago, but at the time, the last couple things I'd been working on was I was like brought in to kind of come in and clean up the interface on an app that was been around for a couple of years. And they kind of had a designer, like kind of come in and out. So like, it was just kind of a mess because they never really had somebody doing it. And one of my good buddies known him forever was basically like, how does it feel to like be the old guy to come in and like clean up all the like young guys kind of stuff? And I just kind of was like, yeah, it's just interesting, right? Like just that <laughs> shift, then the, when you notice that you're like, yeah, I'm at least a decade older than everybody here now. It's, it's kind of an interesting, <laughs> it's an interesting thing, but, and I don't know, like I'm fine with it, uh, um, but it's just, it's interesting, right? And it was one of the first times I really noticed that. The other thing that I want your thoughts on that you mentioned your first piece of advice, how did you not give up and get through the low points? Because I always joke with people, it's like literally doing a startup is the best and worst thing I've ever done. And I will give you one of those answers based on the 15 minute interval that I'm in on that when you ask me, right? And so how have you kind of stuck through it and rode through this stuff? Because some days you're just like, you know what, I, I need to quit doing this. This is stupid. I have a family and whatever, blah, blah, blah. There's a number of reasons. Like, how have you gotten through and persevered for so long?
1: Yeah, I think
0: um, I, I think the first, my my first
1: true one that I started and that was a decade long journey that was just pure determination. I saw no other option, right? I sure. just, I just saw no other. I was literally, it was just that. It was just, just grit, grit, grit. Don't quit, don't quit, don't quit, right? Um, and I was probably so young at, or younger at that stage where I, I didn't even know uh, enough to know that maybe I should have, should have, should have. Uh, maybe gone a different direction early. I just didn't know. I didn't see that sign. So I don't, I don't even know tactically how I how I did it. And I don't think it was a very healthy part of my life, to be honest with you. Just in terms of um, you know the 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 mentality of it. I think cutting to this situation uh, was just just signal detection. Early signal detection is sure. so critical, right? And this is part of your question about sort of advice to entrepreneurs or what have you. That thing of fail fast, fail fast, fail fast is so critical. And I was not good at it earlier and really good at it now. It's like when you have early signal detection, stop doubling down on things that you don't have positive signal on and make sure you find the things that you do have positive signal down on and triple down and quadruple down. I think that is a really important way to keep you from getting too to have the holes getting too deep. Yeah. when the holes get too deep or when you're tripling down on something that isn't working right
0: 100 percent. yeah
1: if you, if you move quick and find the things that are working those lows just get get less low and i think that is a that is a it might seem subtle but i think that is part of where your mental health also isn't isn't taking a 24 7 beating because you're smart enough to identify the things that that you shouldn't be doing and again focusing on the things that you should be doing so I, I don't have any great secrets
0: on it, right? It's no, hard. fair. Right? Yeah, 100%. But that's
1: probably, that's probably the piece that was most helpful for me.
0: No, I think that's actually really good advice. And one thing that I've been using lately to fail fast and get feedback on as quick as possible is I've been using a, like a no-code solution to build a quick version one. Just get feedback from peers and people that I know whether this is a good idea or not. And then kill it off whether or as like I've even built like a simple like WordPress thing you know for a few evenings or a few weekends say like I'm building this what do you think right and so for me it's like if you can spend a few evenings or a couple weekends or a few weeks or maybe a couple of months to build something start getting feedback from real people without spending a ton of time and money that's really been working for me lately And, and what I find about that is like, if I spend two evenings or two weeks or even a month or two on something, and it's a bad idea and people say like, nah, I'm not going to use this well I'm out a bunch of time and and maybe like a couple hundred bucks, right? At the most, where if you spend six months, nine months, you build this thing, you try to raise a little bit of money and somebody tells you it sucks. Well, that's way more crushing than- You know, and and so that's just something that I've been doing lately, and it seems to be working. I might change and iterate on that, but but it's interesting. I think there's been so much focus in the past that you need to have this perfect version one all the time, and I I'm not I don't really believe that. I think in in some ways, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. Is sometimes your early adopters that struggle through your beta version? end up being some of your best customers because they felt like they built the product with you. Have you found that either building CrossFit or or Crosscheck sorry and and, the, and some of the other projects you've been involved in or invested in?
1: Yeah, there's a wonderful loyalty thing that happens, right? And they're they're human, right? Yep. Just be real about it. And and you had to in the early stages for you to get those beta customers, you obviously had to build a relationship and they had to have faith totally. in you, right? Um, you didn't meet them on the side of the, on the street and, and that sort of thing. So there's just a great human thing about that and they're cheering for you. And they were like, they feel validated, frankly, because they're like, yeah, I gave him a shot. And yeah, he was right. And that means I was kind of right, <laughs> you know? Totally. So there's a, It's a weird closed-loop circle where there's a healthy thing. I mean, hacks that we have done for sure, and I don't know if you've done a lot of this, but the advisor thing, right? It's just such a good one, right? Just getting advisors that are influencers that can also help you with architecting your product, but also getting you to market. They'll be your beta customers, that kind of thing. That's an awesome way, right, that we we for sure did here. Um, But the macro theme of what you mentioned too, it's just so cool. I mean, this is a thing for entrepreneurs, they can do just what you said. You can actually, you know, you can do that. You can get a, a you know, sort of a MVP ish to market and in a beta test in months, not years, right? And for like you said, hundreds or thousands of dollars, not millions of dollars. And that's like a phenomenon that's really cool, right? And and something that does that does um, that does uh, enable I think entrepreneurs to kind of kind of be inventing some neat stuff, right? 100%.
0: Quickly, hundred percent. The other thing I find interesting that took me a long time to realize, and I'm curious if you agree with this or not or have found this, is if I build something, if it's crappy and it's the first version and it's really buggy, if if you're solving even a little bit of a problem for your early users, well, that's that was a problem until they started using your product. And sure, your product might not not might not be great or where it needs to be. But if you start slowly solving a part of a problem and you keep solving more and more of that problem, they will be your customer potentially for life, right? Where it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to solve their entire problem day one, but if you start picking away at that problem or a bunch of problems, then you actually are building something very valuable to them. And it took me a long time to realize, that I don't have to solve the entire problem out of the gate, I guess is what I'm getting at. Have you found that or your thoughts around that?
1: Yeah, for sure. And and look, real world example of how I kind of took you through the initial phases of the cross-check journey. Yeah. And I mentioned earlier this team and TAM concept. The TAM concept for me on this was like, oh my God, it's not just me. 45% of new hires don't work out. Yeah. And the costs of a new hire, everybody has their own number, but this is a $100 billion problem, right? Yeah, so I knew wow. it at a macro level that gosh, if I move the needle on this by 1% or 2 or 3%, I've got a big company here, right? Totally, so that was yeah. the TAM part of it. And so to your point, my, our, our go-to-market was this CrossCheck 360 product, which was reinventing the reference check. I don't think reinventing the reference check is going to solve the $100 billion problem. It's the first step to doing that. And just like, so what do, we, what do we do next? Well, next we went and reinvented how they measure quality of hire. So now we have this analytics module that we're selling. And what are we doing Next. Well, now we have a sourcing module where they can go identify talent that's going to be a high performer in their organization, right? What are we doing next? Totally. Now we're ro- we're rolling out an onboarding product that enables new hires to be better onboarded into their new organizations by using much more human insights and get people to know them quickly, which you can imagine in a remote work environment is highly, highly impactful. The bottom line is, at the end of the day, if we do all of these things, which are going to be a lot more complex and a lot more work and a lot more... Uh, modules in our platform than just a reference checking product, but they 're all pointed towards solving that big problem and the only way you get the right to do that is because you solved the initial problem and because we successfully solved the initial problem on the reference checking thing, now they trust us to go solve these other problems so I think that big or small that 's how it goes right yeah. that is just how the world of a startup goes and that 's how you evolve um, so i 'm a i 'm a massive believer in what you said i I, I think that's exactly if that 's exactly how you how you grow these businesses and how you need to grow these businesses.
0: No, perfect. But sadly we're out of time. So how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about cross and anything else you want to mention?
1: Yeah, for sure. And I appreciate that. And and uh you can certainly check us out at uh dot crosscheck dot com. But it's cross check with a Q. So it's C R O S S C H Q dot com or check this out on on LinkedIn or or uh any of the other wonderful social channels that would, that we that we leverage, but for sure just come to the website, uh or you can email me directly if you want to. I actually go by fitz F I T Z at crosscheck dot com uh from an email perspective. So I'd be happy to talk to anybody in your audience, whether it's related to what we do or their own entrepreneurial efforts or anything else they want to talk about, or sports. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, Perfect.
1: Uh, but I certainly so appreciate no. the time and appreciate you you having us today.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Mike, and uh, I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day. All right. Talk to you. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com.